Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 194, The Return of the News, recorded May 24th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox, and joining me this week, again, is the great uh, gooey kid, Seth Anderson. How are you, Seth? Doing great, Mark, and I would just like to welcome everybody to the awesome Element OP network of one podcast. Yes, it was a network at one time, and and, and I hope it will be again. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, I actually heard had somebody uh, in an email or a voicemail. Somebody refer to themselves as an Element OP faithful, and I thought that's that's Seth's doing right there. <laughs> You, you, well, cool. That's in your intro. So Chris is not with us this week because of reasons. Um, so we uh, hope he's having uh, fun or d- don't even know really. So we hope stuff for reasons. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to say um, that this is uh, Memorial Day uh, weekend here in the U.S., um, uh, it's tomorrow as of the recording a couple of days ago when it comes out i just didn't want to let that moment pass this is the day in america where we take time to remember uh the dead who have fallen in battle uh or in the course of defending our country uh and so it's it's not a time for celebrating veterans that comes later uh it is a time for remembering the fallen and the sacrifice made by those who were left behind. Uh, it's as much a day for the fallen soldiers as it is for their wife uh, and their children and their husbands and their daughters. Uh, so um, so all I have to say for that, it's, it's, it always kind of bothers me a little bit when people say Happy Memorial Day. It's, it's really not supposed to be a happy day. But on the same token, I, I, I've, all, I've said before, and I think it's appropriate, I think it's entirely appropriate that we celebrate their sacrifice by enjoying the things that their sacrifice affords us. So for barbecuing and beach going and mattress buying and all that, I don't think I don't think any of that is in poor taste because we're enjoying the things that they sacrifice so that we could enjoy. What are your thoughts on that, Seth? No, I totally agree. You know, it's today is the day where you you think the people who carry on with the holes in their lives because of their loved ones paid the ultimate price. And, you know, as we get further removed from major armed conflicts, granted, you know, I mean, there's been like Iraq and stuff like that, but World War II was a national thing where if if you didn't know somebody who went to war, then, you know, you probably didn't know anybody because there was right. so much of, and, you know, and the same to a lesser degree, Korea, but like Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and the um, Operation Freedom, uh, Iraqi Freedom, and things like that. The army has been, you know, specialized and a lot smaller, and it's almost become a subculture of Americans who are in the military and the military complex versus it was a national thing for previous generations. So, you know, we think, I think those who. You know, they didn't pay the sacrifice, but there's a hole in their life because someone who did. Right. So, and that is different from Veterans Day where, you know, we thank people who were, who did make, who did pay the sacrifice so that we could enjoy our lives. Right. Yeah. And in church this morning, uh, the pastor 
in past in recognizing the day asked uh, for anybody to stand who uh, has has suffered firsthand a loss as a result of war and in our service the second service tends to be the younger group of people there wasn't anybody um, and I think that is that is an increasingly common story but go you go back a couple of decades uh, and and you couldn't say that you go back uh, to the 1950s and everybody would have to stay up stand up like you said because the entire nation was involved in a war effort um, you know in in World War one and two and then a, a smaller subset in Vietnam and then a smaller subset in Korea and then a smaller it the subset keeps getting smaller um, and I was actually talking about that with a veteran friend of mine today the same thing not only are we are we specializing war but we're mechanizing war so that right. uh, we we lose fewer people and and that's good um and and we kill fewer people that's good too uh so anyway it's i like the way you put that it's it's a day to honor those with holes in their lives and thankfully that is getting smaller we we want that we want there right. to be fewer broken people we want there to be fewer broken families uh we want there to be fewer wars uh, but it is appropriate to take this day, this weekend, to to remember them. So, um, for again, for those of you out there that that are are living with a loss, so that I don't have to live with a loss. I thank you. Um, and on a lighter note, because it is a, a holiday weekend, my children uh, conned me into letting them have a sleepover. So I have far too many girls. <laughs> in my home and and it's an amazing thing i've discovered that my children never do anything wrong um i i, I they made okay, girls right just because girls uh people with boys <laughs> don't have this problem but when you got a bunch of girls they decided to make um a facial mask out of household equipment uh, i don't even know what it was but it was like you know cocoa butter and and uh sugar and whatever and so it was brown. I'm guessing there was some chocolate in there somewhere, uh, and they they had covered their hands and faces with it, and uh, it was cute and it was a fun thing that they did. Uh, and then I went downstairs to use the bathroom, and they had apparently covered the bathroom in it as well because the bathroom needed a facial. It was all over the walls, all over the sink, all over the toy. It was everywhere. But amazingly, <laughs> nobody did it. It just happened. When I called them on it, not one of them had anything to do. In fact, they had never even seen. It. My two oldest children weren't even aware that we had a bathroom in the first floor of the house. It was amazing. It was completely ignorant of the fact that uh, they, they weren't even sure we'd lived here. They thought maybe they were just visiting uh, for the weekend. So it's it's pretty phenomenal how uh, I have such perfect children. And I just wanted to give thanks for that because they never do anything wrong. That is awesome. Man, you are fortunate and blessed. Yeah. Uh, so I yelled at my wife for making such a mess of the bathroom and uh, made her clean it up because clearly she's the only one who could possibly have done it. Right, because kids are incapable of lying. We all know that. They're <laughs> angels, you know, on, on loan from heaven until they hit puberty and and then they become loners from hell. Uh, I don't know. But. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an exchange program. <laughs> right. Um, so you are spending your time doing what you enjoy doing, reading, right? Yes. While I was gone to Hawaii... Um, we had a near lightning strike at the house, and so the upstairs, my the TV in my bedroom is currently at Best Buy, and the TV downstairs um, 
you know, I talked before about Chang Gong, and I don't think I'll ever buy another TV from them because they never responded to my attempts for warranty while I was under the 90-day window. But luckily, I purchased the extended thing. And so now every time I call them, it's like a different number I got to get off the stupid thing. And since, uh, you know, I've been doing it at work where I can pull up the stuff online and have it all there. So, um, but anyway, I'm going to get that taken care of. So I've been, instead of like going back to a small TV, who wants to watch a 21 inch TV when you had a 40? Um, I've just been rereading my Honor Harrington series and I'm up to like, I don't know, book 12 or something like that. So hopefully I'll have it finished a couple of weeks. There's only like 20 books in the series. But yes, I've been, and like last night, I was proud of myself. At four o'clock in the morning, I stopped reading so I could get a couple hours of sleep before church. <laughs> That's That shows real self-restraint. So. It does. I, I'm getting older and a bit wiser. So. so do you find when you reread a book that it's as enjoyable as the first time around? It depends on the book. Um... They, these books are so thick, like the first ones, whenever the group of people involved, the cast of characters was smaller, I enjoyed those. But now that I'm, you know, I, I don't have a photographic memory, but I have an above average memory. And so I'm remembering these large chunks of things. Uh, and so I'm kind of skipping those, but and I've seen more and more of the, uh, it's like quit page filling, ah, yes, ah, yes. ah, you know. And so the recaps in these books are like the fifth or sixth or twentieth time I've seen them. The little paragraphs on that. So I don't enjoy the exposition as much, but whenever I enjoy a lot of the character interactions, sometimes I enjoy it more because I see, you know, like I. He's, you know, whenever you're 20 books, there's people who only showed up momentarily in the earlier books that become uh, very important later on. And because they were so fleeting in their first mention, you overlooked them. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. This person is so-and-so. I, I, for, I didn't realize they were in here. So his books are a mix. Some of them I really enjoy. The early ones I really enjoyed. Um, some of the later ones, it it just gets too cumbersome. There's too many people to follow and it be as enjoyable. But uh, when I am rereading them, I am seeing why you didn't like them at all. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, but it, there was this one book, the Star Trek book uh, called How Much for Just the Planet that I might look for and buy again because I read it a couple of times and it was hilarious every time I read it. So it depends on the book has a short answer see i but find why that, give a short answer like with music i can listen to a song a thousand times and enjoy it right. every time a movie i can watch a movie many many times and look for different things you know this time i'm going to focus on visual elements this time i'm going to focus on music cues and there's enough of that and then you know once you know the movie so well it, it's like it's like sitting around with an old friend you're you're reminiscing as you watch the movie i, I don't find that to be true with books for me probably because my visual recall is so good as well i i'm i'm remembering the paragraph that follows as i'm reading the current paragraph um and you know i don't have that nuance ability i first i guess in the picture in my mind i don't have the ability to to look for different themes or or, or find different uh elements and and so i i almost i, I what other than like the bible i can think of maybe two books that i've reread uh, and enjoyed them. Um, the uh, the Douglas Adams series, uh, I've read twice and and loved it uh, both times equally as much. The uh, Lord of the Rings, 
I think I re- started reading it a second time and gave up on it. Um, and otherwise, it just the the list of books I've read twice is very small because it just it doesn't appeal to me. And I wonder what you know is that? Am I deficient in some area because I can do that with music and, and movies, some things that move? I can do that, but with uh, with books, I just I can't. I mean, to a much lesser, you know, like whenever you watch a movie once and then you go back and watch it again, you've kind of already seen the big picture. And so you're not trying to take everything in. Instead, little things that you only kind of you didn't realize you pick up the second time. And so to a lesser extent, to me, that's true in books. I am seeing just the. Oh, I know what he's doing here. He, you know, and, uh, and I just, I kind of, and in one sense, I don't like that, but in another sense, I'm able to pick up more of the just stuff that I, for whatever reason, I either didn't really grasp or didn't appreciate the first time. So I'm, it just, it kind of depends. And I have a confession to make, Mark. I hope we can still be friends, but did not like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy. You know that's okay. You're allowed not to like it. There's there's no accounting for taste, and and if you want to be tasteless, I'm fine with that. <laughs> okay, just just you know, I'm I'm glad we can still be friends because I mean you know, it, it, I, had I read it in college when all of y'all did the first time, I probably would have loved it then. But it was too all over the place for me to enjoy. I'm more I care for the linear stuff more. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I do think less of you, but we can still be friends. Okay. Good. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it is definitely something you either get or you don't. Right. Um, like, like certain, certain movies are like that Monty Python and the Holy Grail, any Monty Python movie, in fact, right. Gets better upon subsequent viewings. I, I, most of them I didn't like the first time. So maybe if you go back and read it again, you'll find you enjoy it again. Um, huh. I, I don't know. Um, the, um, uh, like, uh, I, I'm blanking on the Napoleon Dynamite. I'm, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, my friend Russ loaned me the DVD to Napoleon Dynamite because he loved the movie. And and I, I can see the visual perfectly clearly. He's holding it out to me just outside of my reach. And he says, but you must promise me to watch it twice. And I said, yeah, okay, whatever. And I started, and he pulled it back. He said, no, promise me you will watch it twice. Okay, I promise I will watch it twice. I take the DVD from him. It sits around for a, a couple of weeks at my house before I get some time to watch it. I put it in. Halfway through it, I, I'm done. I don't even watch it. I, it's it's terrible. Um, I, I don't want to finish it, but I said, you know, I promised him. So I finished it the first time, um, and I and I just I literally threw the disc across the room. It was so such a terrible experience. But again, he made me promise, and he knows that I don't break a promise. So about a week later, I watched it the second time, and it became one of my favorite movies. Because once you had all the set pieces in place, there was so much going on, you had to get them there first. And all right. you could see the, was the absurdity the first time. The second time, I started to see the brilliance. And now it's one I've seen many times I own, um, because it, there's brilliance beyond the absurdity. And maybe the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is the same way for you. Yeah, because I didn't finish Napoleon Dynamite the one time I tried to watch it. And I've not gone back to try again. So, so again, I, nobody made you promise. Right. So, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, there are some movies that are just better in company, you know, like 
I can watch yes. The Princess Bride by myself over and over and over and laugh um, and just and love it. But it's so much better when you're watching it with someone yes. who who appreciates it. Someone who's never seen it before, you can't watch it with them. You just have to say, you watch it and then come back and we can watch it together. Because you'll ruin it you for them if you try to watch it with them. Right. So, you know, and I'm sure maybe that would be a thing like that. But yeah, I never finished Napoleon Dynamite. Well, give it another try and tell me what you think. Uh, but for now, we're going to move on to listener feedback. Brandon writes in to say that we helped him get a job. Yay. He says, hi, guys. I listened to the interviews with Mark and Seth and can't leave out Chris. I thought the interviews to be very entertaining. You always hear about big celebrities' lives, but those come a dime a dozen. You never hear about um, stories of real working people. Uh, we need more st- storytellers like yourselves that make great content and is never boring. I, like Seth, got my job from mentioning Linux. Uh, I guess I should say thank you, Everyday Linux, as if it weren't for you guys mentioning the Fog Project, I would not have the job I have today as a computer administrator. Back when you started, um, when Mark was still living in Texas and worked in education, uh, you used to rave about the Fog Project. So I looked it up at fog.org and had a small lab at home and played around with it some at that time. And I had an interview with a company that needed an administrator. During the interview process, they asked about Norton Ghost and Acronis Imaging. Uh, but I asked if they'd ever used any open source products like Fog. The interview said that they never had had heard of it, and they wrote it down and said they'd look into it as another solution. Long story short, by the time I reached the end of the parking lot of the company, I got a phone call that said I was hired. Uh, they said that they'd never given Linux a thought, and that they would bring lots of, uh, and that they thought I would bring uh, a lot of new ideas to the table. So I owe Linux and Everyday Linux uh, the podcast. Uh, I owe Linux and the Everyday Linux podcast. Uh, thanks, your faithful listener Brandon R from Houston, Texas. So congratulations, Brandon. That's a cool story. Right, and since you already admitted that you own that you owed us, we will be sending you a invoice later. So. <laughs> yes, um, uh, did I mention the fifteen uh, percent uh, rake we take when somebody gets a job uh, based on ours? Uh, it's a it's it's a placement fee. Um, we'll we'll take fifteen percent of your salary in perpetuity. That works for me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Seth, you're the uh, the. School that you went to had a deal like that, right? If they give you a job, they take a certain percentage? Yes. The one I went to in California that um, you went there and um, the your tuition was a percentage of your first year salary. Um, I ended up settling with them because I thought I would be able to do better than what I settled for, but I wasn't able to do what I settled for. And so it ended up being a financial hardship for me for a couple of years, but it was a, uh, you know, again, for somebody who didn't have the uh, money to pay for it up front and didn't have the available credit to finance it like that, that was a, that was the only way I could afford to go. So there is precedent for us charging Brandon. Brandon, uh, check your mail for the bill. Right. Uh, Dennis writes in with a book suggestion. It says, hey, guys, I love the show, and I'm a Patreon supporter. Thank you for that, Dennis. I may have already mentioned this book, but it's a great listen on Audible. The book is Future Crimes by Mark Goodman, and you should add it to your list of books to read. I look forward to heavy traffic during my commute when listening to your podcast each day. Keep up the great work. Um, that's That makes you kind of a sick man if you're looking forward to heavy traffic. Uh, but uh, I'll definitely – Future Crimes sounds like maybe it's uh, – uh, in line with the uh, Minority Report, uh, I'll have to check it out. Seth, you ever heard of it? I have never heard of it, and I'm now. yeah, I'm trying to pull up Google. Um, 
I could see he was looking over at his other computer typing. While you're doing that, uh, San, excuse me, Stan says uh, he's living a double life with Seth. Gentlemen, just a quick note to say I really enjoyed the Seth Apalooza episode. I'm a few years older than Seth, but it's, I see quite a few commonalities. I, too, spent more than a few hours in my youth rolling a 20-sided die, helped safeguard my elderly parents from Nigerian princes, lived in a sparsely populated area requiring more than an hour to travel to my job, and was mostly a loner during my da- bachelor days. Except for me my, not being a genius, we're practically the same person. Now let's have a Mark episode. What do you want people to walk away with if they only listen to the final two minutes of the show? If you want suggestions for a distro review, how about Antergos? My daily driver is Open Seuss with KDE. Apologies to the Gnome fans, but I've played with Antergos on a live disc a couple of times, and it seems really nice. I just don't have time to fully test different distros. Thanks for a great show, guys. Stan. So, uh, Stan, we'll, uh, we'll add that to Chris's list. Actually, I had a, a listener offer to do reviews for us and record them and send them in. So, Stan, if you want to do a review, that would be cool. You could just record your audio comments or we bring you on the show. But if you're, you're you know, got stage fright or whatever, uh, I, I think it would be cool to sort of a, a man-on-the-street reporter sort of thing where we take listener uh, um, contributions for distro reviews. So, Stan, what do you think? So, cool. Seth, did I you mean, find it yet? Yes, it is... Um one of the world's leading authorities on global security, Mark Goodman, takes readers deep into the digital underground to expose the alarming ways criminals, corporations, and even countries are using new and emerging technologies against you and how this makes everyone more vulnerable than ever imagined. Is that Analog so, X? Is that Mark Goodman? I think it is. Huh. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the, so, he's he's known, if it's the guy I'm thinking of, he's known in the internet community as Analog X. Uh, I used to use some of his software back a long time ago, can't remember what. But, uh, huh. yeah, I seem to remember Steve Gibson talking about this book on one of their shows. And huh. maybe okay. I dreamed the whole thing in a, in a fevered haze. Yeah, but so it sounds more like a, um, a nonfiction type of book. So Cool. I'll, I'll be sure to check it. I'm always looking for uh, recommendations. Um, right now, my, my recommendation list is, is pretty long, but, hey, I've, I've got many years of Audible listening ahead of me. Uh, right. Moving on, Dave has just a whole lot to say. So he starts out saying, Hello and thank you for your podcast. It's near the top of my rotation that I listen to while driving or doing mindless chores. On the most recent show, probably the trivia one, uh, generated not one but three items I feel compelled to respond to. First one you mentioned that you listen to a podcast called Revolutions or something to that effect. Uh, well, that was a listener who recommended the show, the podcast Revolutions. I have added it to my feed but haven't listened to any of it yet. In that same vein, I highly recommend, in the same degree as uh, your recommendation of Daredevil, the po- podcast called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. If you're even mildly like history, his podcasts are well worth a listen. I especially appreciated his humorous, humorous telling of Julius Caesar's interaction with the pirates that kidnapped him. He recently finished a five-part series on the First World War. I never knew that World War I Germany in, is in large part responsible for the existence of the USSR. They injected Lenin into the revolution in order to destabilize that front. Uh, I listen to Dan Corrin's Hardcore History. It's one of my favorites. I also listen to his uh, Common Sense podcast. But yeah, if you're a history guy, Hardcore History is really, it's not a podcast. It's a its a book. It's an audio book that he puts out um, uh, six or seven times a year. Uh, he doesn't make it every month, 
Uh, but he did a like a five part series on the rise and fall of the Roman Empire that was amazing. And each podcast is usually like three to four hours long. That's why I call them audiobooks. Um, <laughs> he did uh, the Wrath of the Khans uh, about the rise and fall of the Mongol Empire. Amazing. Uh, he really does his research. He's, his storytelling is has a narrative arc. Uh, it's history at its best. It really is. So if you're at all into history, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History is a must. And I'm sure I've mentioned it, but maybe I haven't. No, you have. You've mentioned it several times. Okay. Good. I feel better. Um, so... Uh, Dave, go back and listen to more shows. Uh, moving on with his email, he says, Second, you mentioned that WD-40 was made of fish oil. That rang a bell with me as one of my old-timer patients, I'm a chiropractor, told me he and others have had relief of arthritic pain by applying WD-40 on their painful joints. I thought that was weird at the time, but now it makes sense. I think some fish oils have anti-inflammatory properties. I still think I won't be prescribing it, but uh, though, but maybe some further research. And finally, you stated emphatically that vaccines don't cause autism, and I stand by it. Uh, I've been following the uh, alleged connection between vaccinations and autism for a while now, and interestingly, Tylenol is starting to look like a possible bad guy in autism as well as other childhood diseases. By depleting the liver antioxidant glutathione, which then allows mercury and aluminum to in vaccines to do their damage. Uh, the third link included below. He's got several links. Uh, the author explains how Cuba has a very low autism rate compared to the U.S. per capita, and they also happen to not allow Tylenol as an over-the-counter drug. There are also drops in the rates of new autism cases at the same time as the discovery of Rye syndrome that made parents stop giving aspirin to children and the ty- two Tylenol murder scares in the 1980s. So anecdotal evidence, but certainly interesting, worth checking out. So thank you, Dave, for your for your email. I uh, I stand by that statement that um, vaccines don't cause autism, uh, but I'm not willing to um, gloss over the fact that there are some strong correlations when this happens. This happens, but it's important. You as a as a as a man of science must know that correlation does not imply causation, and any scientist who tries to do the two is not a scientist. Well, I would say that correlation doesn't equal causation. It could imply it. It would, well, at the true. very least, provide you another avenue to research. Okay. So, yeah, I, I used the wrong word, and you're right. The internet was firing up their, their keyboards at that very moment. Uh, Trying to save you, yes. Mark. I know. Correlation already- is also often a precursor to finding causation. Yes. But correlation in itself is not proof of causation. I totally agree with that. I uh, once did a research paper in which I com- uh, proved conclusively using uh, verifiable facts that uh, people, who, people who wear Nikes are hardcore drug users. And I had the numbers to back it up. That's I remember you talking about that. So, I'm just yeah. going to leave uh, it as that. Uh, as my uh, ninth grade English teacher used to say, figures don't lie, but liars figure. Um, okay, so that's it. That's the end of our listener feedback section. And if I remember, no promises, but if I remember, Dave, I will put your links uh, in the show notes when I'm when I'm putting the show up. Because, yeah, if people are interested in, in following that, and I, I haven't read the articles, but I certainly will. Um, and, by the way, let's, let's not lose sight of the fact that Tylenol and aspirin and these things were once prescription drugs. They were regulated by uh, various government agencies with three letters um and over time they found that the use of them was safe and therefore they decided to deregulate it so 
And plus, know. the patents ran out, and they couldn't make any more money off of them. So. <laughs> There's that, too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we were going to be totally honest. So, so uh, you know, um, well, there are generic prescriptions now. Vicodin, hydrocodone, for example. There's generics all over the place because the patents have run out. But it's still a, a scheduled drug because it has, you know, has potential. Now, I'm not saying that, anyway. I'm going to stop digging because the hole is getting deep. Uh, and Seth has well, a link. I mean, oh, yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, it's one of those things where the overblown, knee-jerk, overreaction, everything, it's like, hey, there is a possibility that limited amounts of this can be beneficial. So the next thing you know, all of the so-called experts say you need to consume mass quantities of this stuff, mm-hmm. and mass quantities of anything is probably bad for you. Mass quantities of water can kill you, but none of it can kill you as well. So, you know, there's the whole moderation aspect that gets lost in today's uh, American society. Yeah, I just... Okay, you forced me to go down that that, uh, rabbit hole. Uh, Recently, at least on my Facebook feed, uh, a series of bad science articles about e-cigarettes was going around saying that they have 10 times more carcinogens than regular cigarettes um and all of those articles and their their various websites have written articles but essentially all pointing at one study and you read the study it's the science is terrible um and it's it's like in the 70s that when they studied aspartame saccharin and they found that that it caused cancer in rats they fed the rats the equivalent the human equivalent of like a pound and a half if 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 you were human size that's how much you'd have to eat a day every day for a year and 30 to 40 percent of their rats developed cancer so that's still a pretty low number you had a 70 percent chance of not doing it and secondly who eats a pound of saccharin um and so but because of that saccharin causes cancer and and it was you know uh, pretty much blown off the market by the scare and and all the way now when you hear these things that you know aspartame when it heats up turns into formaldehyde and therefore if you eat a diet coke that's ever been over uh 10 degrees uh fahrenheit you will die and be embalmed in the same these all point back to that same bad science with anecdotes added on top of it and just stop people just stop that's all I have to say about it. The same with the autism, right? So one guy does a study, um, and like 15 other guys uh, do different studies that don't find the same thing. But if you already want to believe it, you say, yeah, but all those guys are on the pockets of the big pharma companies. This one guy, he's the only real one we can trust. That's not how science works. Sorry, I didn't mean to rant. I really didn't. It just, you forced me to. Yeah, no, I mean... I- yeah, I I will withhold my uh, add-on rant as well because I love beating the dead horse. It's fun. And golly, you know, I can't wait for Everyday Science to debut on the Element OP Network. That one has a lot of potential to generate wads of flame mail. Uh, instead of calling it Everyday Science, we should call it Everyday BS because um, we're, we're about debunking the BS. Um and and also we get to spout some, so it'd be perfect. Um, and BS being bad science, ha ha. See, okay. Um, and now Seth says that there are some val- valid video editors on Linux. I've often uh, ranted about that's the, being the weakness. Maybe he's going to try to prove me wrong. 
Well, I was just, I came across this news article that there's a new version of Shortcut out. And Shortcut is a video editor in Linux that seems to be rather um, feature rich and updated on a regular basis. So it's not one of those kind of shareware things, or it's not something that came out 10 years ago. And through these 17 uh, sequential hacks, it will run on a modern Linux distro. But uh, it seems to be a live and uh, vibrant video editor. Again, what's interesting uh, is they didn't uh, they didn't provide a link to download it. Um, yeah, they did provide a changelog link, I guess. Um, well, but that, that's the way Softpedia rarely does that. So um, you know they don't provide a lot of things like that. They um, are more of a website that would require you to put forth some effort and not just uh, you know do things like that. So, but yeah, th- that's. That's kind of more Softpedia's modus operandi. Yeah. All right. So I, that'd be something worth checking out. I've never heard of Shortcut, but I hadn't either. A, says it's a cross-platform um, video editing system. It looks uh, movie maker-ish. Um, it doesn't seem to be um, super advanced just from the one screenshot. I mean, I haven't done any um, research at all on it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm all for checking it out because the the ones that are available now aren't great um and there's there's always the promise of something to come um light light source something like that there's something called i forget what it is they've been promising one for like 10 years now and um it's just every every, there's always one to come and there isn't one yet so maybe this is a thing right and you know and you said this one is cross-platform but it was developed for linux and the mac and windows version don't have near the feature set so it's not a place where Linux is playing catch up. It's just where they're doing that and providing some of the others. All right, cool. How healthy is your ISP in terms of net neutrality? Seth has a way for you to find out. Yes, uh came across this website on or this article on bgr.com and you can go over to battleforthenet.com where um, they are very much in the um, net neutrality debate and they have a test. Um, it is basically a speed test. So as such, any ISP could whitelist this one to kind of fudge the numbers. But you go here and you click on this link and then it is a, you can click on start the test and then it will tell you are, is your ISP throttling, you know, providing a so-called internet fast lane or throttling uh, non-paying traffic in order to allow whatever companies they've entered into agreements with or their own services better access to you. Because, you know, it's one thing if you, if you can't watch Netflix and your ISP has a video streaming service that comes in super fast, well, then why are you going to pay for Netflix when you can watch theirs? So it's a way to kind of help monitor and make sure ISPs are being legitimate. But again, you know, we've talked about speed tests and how ISPs will whitelist those sites. So that way your speed test looks good, but your reality is not good. But this one seems pretty new. So hopefully it's not, it's not whitelisted yet. So you can go battle for the net.com slash internet health test and see how healthy your ISP is. And the idea behind this is that it's going to be crowdsourced. So the more people who use it on a certain ISP, the more data they have about that ISP, and they can they can compare different times a day and, and whatever else. So it sounds interesting, but also um, I think in the end, 
futile. Like, for example, I had to do a speed test with Comcast once to test uh, an issue. And Comcast has their own internal speed test that tests the speed from your modem to their modem. And that's what they call the test. It doesn't actually matter what happens out on the real web. So when they tell you that you're going to get up to 100 megabits or whatever, they're saying from their endpoint to your endpoint, they guarantee that connection. Or not even guarantee, but they, they, uh, they're fudging that connection. But as we all know, the, the real connection matters at the other end of where you're going when you're crossing across multiple lanes. And that's why uh, things like speedtest.net were created. It was not to show you how good your link of the connection is, but how good the total connection between you and another endpoint is. Um, and, you know, that's where people, that's where throttling, that's where uh, degraded networks comes into play. And it can really point out some problems. But your ISP is always going to say, no, from, from my endpoint to your endpoint, that's golden. Um, yeah, which, and and there's yeah. yeah, there's nothing between their endpoints. Exactly. You know, that's that's the thing, and yeah, I just you know, I can advertise right now a a walking knowledge retention up to seventy eight you know gigabytes of you know whatever, and it says up to so as long as I have one k, I'm good because I didn't promise you that. I promised you up to that. Um. Yeah. Anyway, it's you know we we've hammered this home before, and we've talked about how easy it is to manipulate the data and how hard it is to honestly verify the data. But hopefully, this is another tool that can be used to kind of at least make them pretend like they're being honest and open. Yeah. Uh, this next one, speaking of honesty and openness, is scary. According to Edward Snowden, the NSA wants to hack the Google Play Store. Yes. Um, you know, one, I just find it odd that, you know, it's been, what, over a year and we're still hearing about fresh stuff that came out of those. He had a lot of information. But he talked, he produced a slide that showed um, how the NSA had plans to hijack, you know, perform a man-in-the-middle attack to both Google and Samsung app stores. So you think, you know, we've talked before about going to the legitimate app stores and not side-loading apps. So, and again, there's no evidence that this was ever actually done. So it was just plans that they had to say, you're somebody that they want to monitor, whether a, you know, a foreign national or, you know, a drug dealer or, you know, terrorist watch list or whatever. So you are connected to the Google Play Store to get your latest Netflix app or whatever, but they hijack your request, and so they send you a modified Netflix app that injects just a little bit of code where they can see where your phone is and any cell tower you connect to on a regular basis. Um, you know, and there's been lots of conjecture around the internet, no conclusive proof, but a lot of circumstantial proof that the NSA has a way to breach the security of the stores and that would allow them to pull off some type of man in the middle attack. So this is just showing that, and again, you know, it's no beat. Wow. A spy agency is trying to spy on people, you know, major news, uh, spoiler alert for life. Um, and this is a classic, as you called it, man-in-the-middle attack, but it's a targeted man-in-the-middle or, or right. spear phishing because you, you'd have to know the unique identifier of the perp's phone 
and be able to perp- uh, to to pour, pull off the man in the middle between that particular device. That because we're all so disparate, it would be. I'm not going to say uh, impossible. It would be very difficult for them to hack every entrance to the the Google Play Store. But since we all carry devices that are uniquely identified by by the nature of the system, they have to be. Every phone has an IMEI number um, or some variant of it that says, this is my unique global address. This is me and only me. So if you know that who that is and you have this technology to do a silent man in the middle – it makes sense. If I were the NSA, I would want to do that, right? And if I'm uh, chasing down a terrorist, uh, um, I would try to do that. And I, when he goes to get Angry Bird, because terrorists like Angry Bird too, um, I would um, <clears throat> feed him the Angry Bird app plus uh, something that's going to track all his cell phones, uh, his text messages, and phone calls. That's what we pay the NSA to do. So none of this bothers me except that as Snowden has pointed out time and time again, they're doing it against their own U.S. citizens, and that is the problem. They're right. just not allowed to. Yeah, and this is a very – because this isn't something they would want to do to everyone because there's too many savvy people out there who look at – who, one, have the capability to know what to look for and then know how to capture that and then know how to analyze the data. So if you were expected to go to Samsung.com slash Play Store and you ended up at you know bit.ly slash A7419, you're going, wait a minute, that's not – wait, what happened to my – my phone uh you know go drop that in some clorox and buy a new one or something so but for a target because the kind of people you are going to go after typically don't have that level of um internet working sophistication their skill set is in a uh, different avenue of intelligence so (laughs) you want us to break his thumbs boss those are the guys you're going after right uh, so moving on um, from uh, another company doing things that people will think is evil, Firefox wants to sell you some ads directly. Right. Um, you know, we've talked about before how if, you know, an option you have when you open up a new tab is to have suggested tiles turned on. And, you know, and they sell ad space there to and whatever that's the company. default option, option, by the way. You have right. to turn it off. Right. But, you know, again, it's very easy to go in and turn it off, uh, you know, and part of these suggested tiles are ones you go to on a regular basis. So it's like, you know, if you normally every day you go and you go to Dilbert.com to see the latest strip, you know, and you do that consistently, that's probably going to be on the first page of your suggested tiles. But you might also see other things as well. And so what they are doing now is Firefox is scanning your browser history um, to suggest advertiser sites. Um, And again, of course, I can hear the, um, I can't even remember his name. Stallman? Stallman, yeah. The Stallman, you know, talking about privacy and all that kind of stuff. But I personally, I like the way they're doing it. They are, Firefox is the one scanning, and they are anonymizing and aggregating the data and packaging it to people. And so, for example, suppose you go to a cooking web, a web, a cooking whatever, whether it be a Facebook page or a blog or a podcast, and then you go to um, a couple of different recipe sites and, you know, these other things, then your suggested tab might be Food Network. So they look at, uh, and the bar they set is if you have at least five of the same thing, then they would put a similar suggested tab in there. Um, And again, 
if if they don't have any money, there won't be a new version of Firefox. So if people aren't going to give to the Mozilla Foundation, then they have to do something to monetize. And since, you know, um, they've switched to Yahoo over Google, they're cutting down on how much money they're getting from Google. And Google has become more of a enemy than a frenemy because Google has Chrome. Uh, and, you know, they want Google wants to dominate all aspects of your world and not just search. So they've got to do other things to get money. So I don't have a problem with the way they're doing it. I personally... I don't really like the suggested tabs just because I like the blank page. And, um, so I turned it off, but you know, even whenever I had it on, it didn't really bother me because I only ever opened the tab when I was going to the address bar to type something. And I can't ever really say, I was like, Oh, what's this? I want to go there. But you know, that's just how I roll. But you know, if they can make some money off of it, good for them. I like the way they're doing it. They're kind of at least, at least, you know, of course, maybe they're saying one thing and doing another. That's always a possibility. But the way they say they're doing it, they do a good enough job for a tinfoil visor guy such as myself to not have any privacy concerns of the way they're um, getting that data and the way they're controlling the data and not just giving it to everyone. Right. So this doesn't bother me at all. So if I'm understanding the way this works... Um, you, you're not necessarily trusting them with their history, with your history in that you're asking them to go, you know, you type into the browser where you want to go. So history is a part of the function. If you ever want to click the back button, that has to restore history. So it's just a part of the way the system goes. So right. that, that doesn't bother me. The, the trust is inherent in that. And if I'm understanding this article correctly, they have, um, an anonymous, uh, a bank of sites of advertisers who have paid them to have things delivered to them, and the anonymized data that says this user might benefit from this site, and then the site doesn't get any information about you until you go to the site, which is again fine. So it's just preloading a list of things that you think that it thinks you might like. Why would I not want that? As long as it's accurate, and if and it has to be accurate, right? It's looking at my own browsing history, and uh, the the question will be how adaptive is it? And I've complained before that sometimes I have to go into private mode to do searches because I don't want Google now showing me you know everything I search because it might have been just a one off thing, just something that that I, I did and I don't want to do again, or I'm looking for you know a gift for my wife and I don't want that to pop up somewhere. So I and again I may have to do the same thing with Firefox. It just fire up a, uh, a private browser where the history isn't saved uh, when I don't want things that are going to pollute it. Like when I'm looking up, you know, uh, some kid show for my kids, I don't want that to be in my feed, but it was information I needed at the time. Uh, so, yeah, this doesn't bother me. I think it's a fine idea, but I honestly don't think it's going to be very effective. Yeah, you know, but it's just it's a way for them to get a little money off of really not doing much on their part. Right. Um, Mozilla will have the final approval over all sites that are entered into the suggested tiles program and will require visits to at least five similar sites before offering up a related suggestion through the feature. So, you know, as long as you keep your browser history clear where you have no more than four porn searches in there at any one time, you're good. Yeah, so we just got a one, two, three, four purge. One, two, right. three, four. Yeah, right. Uh, and sticking with the same vein, but taking it literally offline, uh, a Virginia man doesn't want people to know what his license plate is. 
Well, it's not, it's not that they don't want to know. He doesn't want to know what, because obviously they know he doesn't want them tracking where his license plate has been. And he filed suit and actually, um, I don't remember. I, I have to reread the thing. I don't remember if he won or similar cases have won because the, the, um, Virginia, they keep and they store where his license plate has been and they don't purge that data after so long. And so, you know, he did a kind of freedom of information request and got back from them a list of many places where his car was at. And he's like, you know, it, he wasn't, you know, 112 he, times of them. Wow. Yeah. And so he's just like, um, I don't really care for anybody to know where I've been. Please delete this. And so I, this was, this is not something I ever considered. You know, it's so easy for, um, most people who go, I avoid tollways just because I am against the concept of a toll road. That's what the gas tax is for. If you're going to go toll roads, repair the gas tax. Anyway, that's my little mini rant on that. Um, but I just, I don't like double paying for the roads I drive on, but you know, there's the, um, license plate readers on that. And it's just so easy to capture that information and then store it in a database for, and of course, we all know how awesome state level security is. That information would never be compromised or never be inadvertently open to the public or left, um, you know, hacked or anything like that. So this guy is obviously just blowing in the wind over something that would never happen. Yeah, well, the the complaint says that he found a couple of pictures of him and his daughters in his driveway. Uh, so what's interesting here is if when you're out in public, your your actions are by definition public. Right. Uh, that's why nobody has to ask permission to take pictures of a public highway. Um, you're on a public highway. You, you're in the public, uh, and it's it's kind of an interesting scenario here. You're you have a a, a uniquely identifiable tag because you're required by law to have it, and you're in public. So you, essentially, you're required to be tracked in public. Um, but then there's the definition of public. Am I, if I'm standing in my driveway with my child, is that public or is that private? Um, you know, that's a good question. Some would say uh, that's public because you're outside. Others would say you're on your own property. That by definition is is private. So um, you know that, that it's it's an interesting case. Um, but I, I think it's it's you know spitting into the wind. We are going to be tracked more and more often because we can be as the technology makes it available people will use it um and the the idea is to just have really really vigilant oversight that's that's the only way you're ever going to make sure that the keep good people on us right um and that's one, what that's what it is yeah one good thing about where i live if somebody's taking a picture of my license plate um I know it's not part of a normal program because I'm off the road in the country. You can't see my license plate from the road. You have to go through some method of, you know, either out in the woods with the lens or some type of drone flyover or something. So, you know, I don't live in the suburbs, but I mean, this is from a privacy standpoint, this is kind of scary. They can look and see that, oh, look, every Friday, the daughter gets out of the car by herself. Um, at this time, right. you know, you don't, you don't want that, you know? So anyway, it was just, I was like, this had never crossed my mind has a possibility. Um, and it was a little, 
you know, tinfoil visory kind of makes me want to, you know, maybe roll something over the top of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I agree with you that, that it's it, 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 there is reason to pause and reflect as a result of this story. But I, I, unfortunately, I'm very fatalistic about this. And I just, I think things will not get better. They will only get worse. And it's not, you can't fight the technology. You have to fight the system. And you yeah. have to make sure that there's there's oversight and there's rules in place. And they weren't following their policy of purging the information after exactly. 24 hours. You know, had it been purged after 24 hours, you wouldn't be able to see a pattern. Or you would have to actively you know, figure some way to exploit the security of that to see a pattern um, versus, Hey, I wonder what, I wonder what Bob Jones is up to. Oh, look, here's, here's a record of every time he's left his house for the last 10 years. seems to me he goes somewhere every Thursday at six 15. Um, and then I wonder where he goes. Well, let's see where else he shows up Thursday at six 20. He shows up at Dairy Queen. I, I don't know, but it's just kind of weird. And then as per- certainly in Europe where, uh, Traffic cameras are everywhere, not just traffic cameras, but but police cameras on streets are everywhere. This this sort of thing is going to continue to happen, and and in the U.S. it's getting more prevalent. My my question is, why is there a traffic camera that can see his driveway? That seems very unusual to me. Yep. Um, uh, no transition into this one. Uh, like China, uh, Russia wants to have their own mobile OS. And they they want it to be non US uh, based, right? Um, one of the things from this article, and again, uh, there was a neat. Um, let me look for the uh, one of the neat kind of ar- uh, directions this article went is uh, longer term. Any sort of balkanization, balkanization is likely to fray the value of global technology markets and services. Uh, We may be witnessing the creation of what are effectively national information silos. So, you know, right now you kind of have Apple and Android are, you know, your two uh, worldwide mobile platforms. Of course, yeah, Windows, Woohoo, and a couple of people here and there still have BlackBerry, and then there's a few other minor things. But those are your two big deals. Um, but, you know, of course, China has tried real hard to make one that's Chinese-specific and away from those, um, and where that way, you know, they're they're keeping that information there and it's not coming over here. Uh, Russia is here trying to do the same thing. They're trying, they're looking to use the selfish OS. So, you know, Migo will live, uh, unfortunately will live under, uh, Russian rule behind the iron curtain. Yeah. Behind the iron curtain. Uh, bye bye Migo. Uh, it was nice <laughs> to know you. So, um, but you know, anyway, their goal is to use selfish uh, and they point out that, um, Nokia, it's not only owned by Nokia, but there's a lot of, uh, Russian and Chinese shareholders as well. Um, and, uh, it was just kind of an interesting article. It talks about the, you know, we're talking about the globalization of the world, but there are lots of places actively looking to deglobalize, um, the mobile infrastructure of the world. So that way you don't have vanilla Android or Google's version of Android ubiquitously 
at everywhere. You have, you know, a heavily version of Chinese where all of that mobile data stays in China. And then you have a Russian version and then maybe you have an African version, maybe an EU version. And then just the Google version that we know of would just be kind of the uh, American version. And uh, so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that would do. Uh, as far as, you know, maybe one good thing is that there wouldn't be so many freaking apps in the app store, you know, um, so maybe the apps that were there would be a little bit better, but by the same token, you have less people developing, so you won't have as much, oh, hey, this app could be better like this. It was just an interesting article. thought it would be cool to talk about it a little bit. Well, and what makes it tie directly into this show is that all of these things by by their very nature, are going to be based on Linux uh, because Linux is the only, you know, open thing out there right now. And and it would take, you know, decades of of time and effort to redesign something from the ground up. Uh, and that's just not reasonable when Linux is already there. So, you know, the, Google um, built the wrapper of of Android on Linux and the the ends the guts of it are Java, uh, you know it's all it's all going to be Linux in the future and so you know often as we lament Linux is is not big on the desktop likely never will be big on the desktop but it is going to be a thing and if you want to get in on that thing our friends over at the Linux Academy can help you do that uh, linuxacademy.com their stated goal is to take you from being uh, a computer uh, proficient individual to a Linux administrator by way of uh, again starting with their step by step video courses that's where it all started uh, and it's, this is not just some YouTube course that, where a 15 year old kid walks you through something these are professional educators who are professionals in the field who are experts on this knowledge independently certified experts who have produced these high quality videos and but it's not just the videos it's the study guides that go with them it's the pr- uh, practice tests that go after them. It's the community uh, community of people around you that you can tap into. It's the responsiveness of the organization. You ask a question, you make a, a comment, you have a suggestion. Uh, Anthony and his team listen and are and are agile and ready to respond to that. Uh, but again, the, the thing that I keep stressing because I just think it's the real, the thing that sets them apart from anybody else is their really dynamic lab infrastructure. Up to four VMs running simultaneously, eight different distros to choose from, but four running uh, simultaneously in their own private network, talking to each other safely and securely on Amazon's cloud infrastructure so it's lightning fast and robust and you, you, can't, you can't destroy it. I mean, you, you, you wipe something out, you build a new one in a matter of a few seconds um you just can't get that it's it's a it's the killer tool that the average geek can't get sure you can build a set of a bunch of vms but you can't you can't have them that fast that reliable that robust and with with minimal overhead uh and that's what linux academy offers you and they offer it for a song 25 dollars a month is the most you can pay. That's their highest price possible, $25 a month. But like anything else, the more you buy, uh, the less you pay. If you buy a quarter, three months at a time, it's $65. There's a $10 discount right off the top there. And if you buy annually, it's $215. That breaks down to less than $18 a month. You will not find this level of education uh, at this quality, independently certified uh, quality at that, for $18 a month. You're just not going to do it. Uh, and uh, if you go to Linux, uh, linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux, you'll get a special price break even off of that. So linuxacademy.com, check them out, and you can be part of this new thing that's all going to be based on Linux. 
No comment? Great. Well, Moving on. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, no, I was, you know, you could, you also could be like Brandon and be part of the own OP job core. Exactly. Yes. And, and give us 15% of your earnings in perpetuity. <laughs> um, if you, if, if, if the $25 a month for Linux Academy seems a little pricey for you, you're probably not going to be interested in this $9 Kickstarter computer chip. Actually, no, you might be, you know, you might be the person this was built for. Yes, there is a Linux based mini PC for just $9 and it is called chip. It is a Kickstarter program and there are 12 days to go. Um, for $9, you get a board that is not quite as powerful as the Raspberry Pi. Um, but, you know, and then there's some other things you can do as well. Like the one I'm really thinking about getting, it's called the pocket chip. You get kind of the chip and a little uh, keyboard and display kind of thing. And you'll have this tiny little something about the size of a Game Boy computer. And it comes preloaded with Scratch. And so this isn't a, you know, build a um, build an NSA busting uh, hacker proof utopian vision of the future. This is kind of a cheap way that you can or an inexpensive way that you can kind of teach somebody the basics of programming. I mean, it's 10 bucks. Um, and it runs LibreOffice, uh, excuse me, it runs Debian, and can you can do LibreOffice so your kid can do homework on right. a chip that's rough, about half the size of a business card. That's the, It's tiny and low-powered, and you know, we got something that small, you don't need a big fan or anything like that. Um, it's, uh, the specs on it are fairly decent. It's a gigahertz processor, it's got Wi-Fi. Um, it's got uh, five twelve megs of RAM. So, I mean, this is this is a netbook of a few years ago, shrunken down to half the size of a business card. Yes, they had a goal of fifty thousand dollars. They have so far over thirty two thousand backers and over one point seven million dollars raised. So, um, I'm thinking by the end of the day, they might have uh, thirty two thousand one hundred twenty seven backers. Um, I might get one of these. Not that I would do a freaking thing with it, but you know. Why not just throw money away at cheap, useless crap? <laughs> so, but yeah, $10 for a uh, single board computer. I mean, dude, you know, you can't. And of course, $10 isn't all of it. You still got to have a display. You got to have a keyboard. You got to have a mouse. So, but, you know, us. assuming you buy a relatively inexpensive display, you're talking a, a reasonable, a, a usable chip, a usable computer for... 120 bucks? If you have bought a computer in the last 10 years, a regular desktop computer, you already have a display, a mouse, and a keyboard that are most likely VGA and USB. So you basically need a power supply. Um, you know, you, you probably already have these things lying around. So it's not really outside the realm of possibility that all you need is a power supply. Um, which would any cell phone, if you've bought a cell phone, you've got that already. Right. So, you know, with the junk that you don't know what to do to get rid of, you can have a fully functioning, cute little computer. So anyway, I was just, I, I just had to pass it along because, you know, 60 millimeters by 40 millimeters, that's pretty dang small. Um, and now for the bad news. Uh, good thing Chris isn't here to see it. Uh, Steam numbers uh, are in, and Linux is on the way down. Plummeting. 
like a rock off the deep end. Um, Linux has dropped, and I'm vamping because the stupid thing won't load. I don't know what happened. Now but, less than 1% of their overall market runs Steam on Linux. Yes, it was 1.05 in April, and now it's down to 0.94. Um, but again, they really aren't upfront with how they get their hardware service or how they do their hardware survey. Um, you know... Um, but yeah, it seems to not ever, and you know, there's the whole Steam OS, which is Linux, um, doesn't seem to be such a big deal. Um, it's not showing up in the numbers. Um, I don't know. It, people maybe like Steam, but they like it on Windows. And well, here's the thing. If you're a PC gamer, you need Windows. Right. So many big titles only run on Windows. If you've already got a Windows machine, you can run Steam on, uh, on, on Windows and, and you're good. Right. So, the there's so little market for the hardcore gamer who's only on Linux. If you're a hardcore gamer, you kind of can't be only on Linux. Um, if you're a, a you know if you're a mid grade gamer or a, a casual gamer, then sure you're you're fine there. But again, the thing is, everybody already has a Windows PC, like it or not, everybody's got one um, or, or a Mac, uh, and so it's only us one percenters who have Linux desktops in the first place. So you know their their numbers are trending right along right along with desktop OS use. Uh, it, it's not surprising to me, and also not disturbing to me. It doesn't bother me. Um, what it will probably mean is the uh, the Steam OS people are likely the Valve Valve that's the name of the company is likely to to stop developing for Linux and because it works fine on Wine. So their Windows version has worked fine, and so there's kind of no reason for them to put more effort into it. That's what I see happening. But again, for their own Steam boxes that are running on Linux, they, they probably don't want to do that. So they're either going to be scratching their own itch or they're going to stop doing it. Right. But you know, Mark, this is a year of the Linux desktop, and Steam is going <laughs> to. 2015. Steam... Yes. No, I didn't say 2015. I said this is the year of the Linux <laughs> desktop. There's a big difference in those. But uh, you know, one thing in SteamOS's favor now is that you can uh, you can do Netflix on it. So this if this living room box now can do a couple of things, and that's powerful. Yeah, I thought this to me. This is one of the things that has the potential to cause Linux to maybe break out because let's face it, Netflix is huge. In America, um, a lot of people just, that's how they want to consume media is over Netflix. Um, but, you know, you don't want to have 17 different boxes hooked up to your TV uh, in the living room. You know, you don't want to look like, you know, you're a hacker in there. So the fact that you can have Steam and Steam is a, um, you know, this isn't really a super hack to get it on there, but it is kind of a little non-standard way. Um, but you can run Netflix off of steam os and uh if if it gets totally um one of the things is this is still in development and so there are bugs and so it's not maybe going to run perfectly but if this continues to be developed and it gets to be smooth then you have a viable reason that hey we can ditch the whatever we have and go with this because we can get netflix on the same device uh on the same machine that we get our games on if you're a steam user so and you don't have to have the windows version to also be able to go to it um anyway it it seemed you know maybe this is 
in much the same way that the Allies overcame the German U-boat <laughs> tactics of World War II, it wasn't a one big silver bullet. It was a bunch of little things incrementally getting better. Maybe this is just one of those little things getting incrementally better that will all of a sudden will go, hey, wait a minute. When did Linux get up to 20, 30% of the market share? I, I, if, I said if. If you can do, if you can do Steam on... Um, excuse me, Netflix on SteamOS. Maybe there's hope for me getting it on my Raspberry Pi. Um, and that's I have a media center that can't do Netflix right now. I had to go get a Roku because my Red, Raspberry Pi can't do uh, Netflix. So there's there's hope and and little things like that, like you say, these incremental things. Uh, th- they spread ripples throughout the water, and they may make changes that you you don't foresee. So good on you, developer who is unnamed uh, for making this happen yay because um, you've already steam is in linux now kind of it's in chrome um and only in chrome you mean netflix uh, I'm, yeah sorry netflix uh and it's it's not as good in at least on my machine uh on my machine i can run the windows partition or in a vm and and netflix looks better than it does on the Linux side, but that may be the Linux driver. You know, I'm willing to concede that that might not be the thing, but still it's only on one browser. And, and, you know, if, if we can, anything we can spread, uh, to, to make these killer apps and Netflix is a killer app. People, people buy whole devices, i.e. me and my Roku just for Netflix. Uh, so this, this is a positive thing and could certainly be a big, uh, big win for valve on something that they hadn't even thought about doing. Yeah, or maybe they had thought about doing it and they just weren't able to. Um, I don't know, or they didn't think to do it this way. So, yay! Right. Something I said in that last rant sounded kind of like OK Google, and so my watch started uh, transcribing everything I said. Um, <laughs> first world problems. Um, this is kind of good news to me in a twisted sort of way. It looks like the interesting old Microsoft is back, and they're back to their strong arm, ta- arm tactics now, including blackmail. So Microsoft may be interesting again. Yes. Um, you know, recently the U.K., went through this thing where they were um they switched to the open document format kind of leaving the proprietary one they were doing for microsoft in the dustbin of history hopefully um, microsoft called a few um government officials they use the term mps um and they kind of threatened and said hey if this passes we're not saying but maybe microsoft won't have as big a uh a, as big of economic impact in your um in your area as it did before so they threatened to close some close or reduce microsoft r&d facilities in their constituencies um and there's a lot of people who did this and uh, or who reported this and so uh and of course microsoft refused to comment on the report um so yeah i mean MP, i'm pretty sure is members of parliament yes so that's who they were calling and saying you know if if you if you should want to be reelected. Maybe you should not uh, use this ODF thing. And, of course, Microsoft, no, ah, I never heard of it. I don't know what you're talking about. Surely couldn't be us. Um, That's not my department. I really can't comment on that. <laughs> I would need to refer you to our lawyers who are on staff yeah. and getting paid anyway. Talk to them. Let me refer you to the blackmail, I mean, the legal department. Um, interesting. Uh, and, and the next thing, the U.S. Senate maybe finally has had enough 
and they're trying to take some of the NSA's power away from them with a new uh, a new act. It's a good thing. Yes. Uh, are we getting a? Um, did somebody stumble over some uncommon sense getting out of the bathroom? Um, but yes, the Senate voted down the USA Freedom Act, which was a way to basically extend the Patriot Act that wasn't very patriotic and it gave the government pretty much carte blanche to just do whatever they wanted to in the name of security totally forgetting i believe it was benjamin franklin who said something along the lines of and then it just it just lost it uh if those, you give up freedom for security you deserve neither right yes i yeah i don't know what happened to it <laughs> it was gone um but yeah so in a midnight session the senate voted it down I think this is a good thing, but then again, it is the Senate we're talking about, and they don't have a track record of doing anything right. that is good um, or beneficial to the regular public and not the special interest public. So we'll see how it happens. Um, so the Patriot Act was sort of a modified war powers uh, thing that was done immediately after September 11th, 2001, uh, to give the government expanded powers, particularly in the area of surveillance, so that we could get these bad guys who just brought down uh, the Twin Towers in New York City. And everybody was for it because we were all feeling super patriotic, and we decided that we would give the government temporary expanded powers. This is 2015. 14 years later, those temporary expanded powers are still there and still expanding. Um, in many ways, I've been pro-Patriot Act. In many ways, I've been uh, against the Patriot Act. But it's time for it to go. If we want the government to have these powers, we need to, to do it the right way. We need to have votes, and we need to pass laws, and we need to make the government more powerful the right way. The problem with this is that we, we snuck it in the door, and we've been giving the government more and more power without a vote and without the people having any say in it. And that's where these stupid uh, Snowden things, not that Snowden was stupid, but these stupid things that he's been pointing out came to pass. It was a government who had been slowly gathering more and more power without anybody knowing about it, without any vote on it, without any referendums. So it's time for the Patriot Act to go, and it's going to expire, and it looks like finally it's going to be over. And if we go back and we realize that we need these things, then we can put it to a real vote. Uh, but, you know, Snowden came out and said, here's all these things that your government has been doing without you knowing about it. That's the problem I have with it. Not that the NSA spies, not that spies are spying, but that we didn't know that they were doing it. And we didn't give them the power to do it uh, properly. They stole that power. And anytime a federal government of any kind steals power from its people, that's a bad thing. Yes, because what government goes around and willingly gives back the power? Oh, guys. I took this power over here and it come to find out I really didn't need it. Um, and there was this money that came with it that I'm really not doing anything. So I'm just going to let y'all have it because I don't need it. Um, governments do that all the time. There's a long Tax history Tax rebates for everyone. Yes. Uh, there have been several times throughout history when people have willingly given up freedom and elected dictators uh, because they thought it was the right thing to do at a time. Hitler, let's not forget, was elected to his position. Uh, Julius Caesar, uh, Nero, the, the, the proconsuls the, of Rome who became emperors were elected by their people. And no, no government gives up power once it's been given. It has to be taken back or it has to be lost through attrition or war. Um, you know, and, and these are the problems when you, in the, in the 
the swell of patriotism after uh, having been attacked, you give your government power, 14 years later, it's still holding on to it. I would say the swell of fear after we were attacked. I don't really think it was patriotism that gave that. It was fear. Well, often the two are one. Often the two are are, uh, different sides of the same coin. Uh, Patriotism is fear with a a positive spin on it. Mm, That would be a good discussion for everyday politics. (laughs) I don't know that I totally agree with that. I Um, look... Anyway, go ahead. No, that's the yeah. I was just gonna say that uh, I, I didn't. Again, there's a reason that I'm called the Sultan of the Soapbox. I don't intend to. The soapbox just puts itself under my feet. I don't go step up on it. I'm just minding my own business, and whoop! Suddenly, I'm on a soapbox. Um, but when we start, yeah, when you start uh, talking about um, gov- governments with too much power, that's something that I'm passionate about. I'm all about. Uh, I believe in the concept of a republic that that we elect leaders that we trust to represent on our behalf. We are not a democracy. We're a republic. Um, I believe in that concept because democracies are too unruly and they fall apart. But when the republic, the representatives are doing things and they are not held accountable and they have no, you know, that's the whole problem. When when they can go and do anything they want and we don't know about it and we don't have any power to do it, that's no longer a republic. That's now an oligarchy. And I didn't sign up for that. Don't disagree with that. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. This week in history, something happened that was cool. Yeah. Um, I had found another one that I was going to use till I saw it plastered all over the news everywhere. And I thought, ah, people already know that one. So May the 24th, 1844, 1844, Samuel Morris sends the message, what hath God wrought, which is a biblical quotation from Numbers 2323 from the old Supreme Court chamber in the United States Capitol to his assistant Alfred Vail in Baltimore, Maryland to inaugurate the first telegraph line. To me, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, all we have today is a super fast telegraph line instead of dot you know it's binary flying back and forth and assembled by computers rather than a guy with this little uh garter band around his arm and a visor um you know writing as he hears but you know the telegraph you know was binary and precursor to the information superhighway. It, it was analog binary right today right. uh so dc to baltimore i just googled is about 40 miles um so depending on where those two things are suited it's anywhere from 40 to 50 miles um and instant communication over 50 miles was i mean to say groundbreaking is an understatement of the term 50 miles was a hard day's ride right a, a two light day's ride so you just took two days out of the information uh, loop. That's amazing. That's I mean, that, it's hard to even come up with something uh, that in the modern day can compare to that. Well, I mean, um, imagine you know you couldn't, you could not have. This is the reason why America is a republic. You could not have a democratic operation in a hundred mile radius because it would take you 
two to three to four days to get to the hundred miles and then two to three to four days to get back. So you're looking at bare minimum a week. You say, Hey, should I vote yes or no on this bill? And then you're like waiting for a week um, to find the answer to that. So that's why we had representation because we could say, I trust you to do what's best for us. Um, this group of people did. So he was there and then, you know, the news could filter out and come election time. We don't think you did a good job we're going to send somebody else but now you can have you know again instantaneous in comparison to what it was yes but you're looking at you know maybe a minute for the thing to go there and then maybe a minute or two for them to put it down and read it and then you know in within an hour you can have a legitimate conversation near enough to real time to be um you know very useful so pretty cool stuff um compared to what went before this was amazing that's a cool this week in history as far as i'm concerned because that's that's where it all began um that was the beginning of the internet the beginning of communication the beginning of of digital communication right um yeah samuel morse had to invent morse code he he did he for the first time digitized binaryized uh communication um, because he needed a way to do it over over this system. So, I mean, that's the foundation of the fact that you and I are having a conversation over Skype. That's just cool. Yep. 1844. So how far we've come in, uh, you know, less than 200 years. Yeah, I wonder how much... Um it would be cool to see what the original prices were. You know, it was so much per word to send, right. even if it was only a penny a word. You know, imagine the the text of a short speech such as the Gettysburg Address. One, how long would it take to to do that out, and then how much would it cost? Right. So, you know, you're looking at, and back then a penny was a lot of money. Now, a penny is something you find in the parking lot, and who cares? Um, right, and I can then, now download was, uh, a twenty hour audio book for free. I mean, it's 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 too cheap to bill, right? I get unlimited quote unquote data. Uh, so you know, even if you if say I'm doing it over my cell phone data, where I get a gig at X amount, uh, even then the the amount is so insignificant that I don't have a problem doing it. Downloading ten hours worth of spoken words, uh, that's you know, it's kind of amazing where we are. Yeah. Um, okay. Now what is Seth, what is your 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 funny, your humorous, your off the wall link for us this week? Okay, I just I had a hard time coming up with something, so I thought I would share with you Richard Stallman's personal site, um, how he does computing. He just talks about the uh, type of computer he uses, why he uses it, what version um, of different software he uses. And uh, anyway, stallman.org slash stallman-computing.html. You can read it and see that, you know, the cool thing is he is very passionate about his uh, core values and he seems to maintain his core values all the way down the line. You know, he's not one of those people who say, yeah, you know, who is only, but he's consistent. It seems at every level. And, uh, and that's one of the things that makes him such an oddball in society. He doesn't seem to tolerate those internal inconsistencies that much of the rest of the culture at large takes for granted. So 
anyway, you can just kind of read over and see what he does if you're interested. And uh, Richard Stallman's personal computing um, world. I I know that on this show there's a sort of a recurring theme of bashing Stallman. I actually respect the man to no end. He he is he has integrity beyond uh, what most people do. He's true to his own beliefs. I think that some of his beliefs are a little whack job, but he's he's entirely sold out to those beliefs, and I have to respect that. I mean, he he goes so far as to he won't even use a proprietary BIOS on his laptop so he has to he had to find the one laptop on the market that had a free initializer that wasn't encumbered in any way or closed in any way it doesn't the thing is it doesn't necessarily have to be uh proprietary it's just if it's not open if he can't see it he won't use it um it said talks about here how he used uh, uh, a one laptop top per child device um and it had a um a binary blob for Wi-Fi, he, and so instead of using that, he just bought his own external Wi-Fi thing. So the the man makes his decisions carefully, and he measures them against his own beliefs, and um, and I respect that. Um, I I sometimes think he does more harm than good, but you know history will tell us that it's not my course. It's my not my job to make that decision right now. Right. But at the same token, there needs to be somebody out there right? who is, you know, you need the um, guy who is off the deep end on the right and you need the guy who is off the deep end on the left, whether you're talking issues of, you know, morality or politics or technology or freedom or whatever. You need to see the complete picture of where that direction points to. Um, and you know, most of the time you can say there are several points about that position that are good, but there are also several points about that position that are good. But if you, if you don't have the complete picture of what one side looks like, then you can't have a good discussion about what the end product will be. So good stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So this is the part of the show where I tell us how you can contact us. Go to elementopi.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Uh, that will send a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox. If you'd like to send an email individually, aside from that, you can go to edl at elementopi.com. That goes to all three of us. Or uh, chris at elementopi.com, seth at elementopi.com for your stump the sultan uh, questions uh, for the show that hopefully is coming. Seth, have you had any response about that at all? Um, I think there was one. That came in. I haven't kind of. I've gone through and looked at some of them, but um, have there hasn't been a lot yet. Okay. But you know, it's only been out for a few days, so. Yeah, and I also want to remind you about the Element Opie app. Currently not available in the App Store, only at our, our website. Uh, if you go to elementopia.com, there's a, a link to it. There's a whole forum section to it. You can get it there. We still need more people to hammer on it. Um, uh, Kaiser has sort of gone radio silent for a while. I'm assuming he's busy doing the thing that actually makes money off of. Uh, but I'm sure the app will continue to be in development, and we need more people pounding on it. So go do that. Uh, also, if you want to uh, leave a voice message, 559 559- I am Opie is our phone number, uh, or you can use the widget at the top of the page. Google Voice will call you if you don't even want to dial the phone. Uh, or if you're outside the U.S. or don't want to pay that toll, you can uh, call, uh, just send me a file, uh, an audio file, keep it under three minutes, and we'll do it that way. We love hearing from you. Um, we love doing this show for you. Again, as I've said so many times, we wouldn't do this show without you. 
because then that would just be a little crazy. Uh, but we appreciate you being a listener, and we hope to have Seth and Chris back next week for an amazing show about stuff. Um, so we look forward to that. Seth, as always, thanks for being the great host that you are. Listener, thanks for being the great listener that you are. And I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday